Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application, present special music to call us to worship, and in a few minutes, Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. I read recently that 36 U.S. cities in 20 states have replaced the dollar with an alternative currency. They are so concerned at the deteriorating financial condition of the U.S. economy and the U.S. dollar that they do not want to be found wanting when they believe the dollar will devalue. When you stop and think about this, the ramifications are quite frightening. Since before I can remember, the U.S. dollar has been the standard for the world. Some countries use it as their own currency. Most trade internationally using U.S. dollars and keep dollar reserves as a support mechanism for their own currencies. A long time ago, gold was used as that fallback, the standard by which all currencies were guaranteed. This is no longer the case. Until recently, everyone has looked to the dollar as their currency safety net. These 36 cities that I have mentioned changed the equation. They've replaced the dollar as their main currency. I understand that some companies have also switched and will accept a new currency in lieu of the dollar. It is said that the great inventor Thomas Edison first promoted this idea of an alternative currency system back in the 1920s. It seems that finally it's catching on, however slowly that may be. I read about this in a paper that was discussing various investment opportunities. As I read about all this concerning the dollar and its possible demise, my thoughts drifted to scriptures and the whole range of writings that preview what we call the end times. That is, those days, weeks, months preceding the Lord's return to earth, which will usher in the sequence events that will culminate with the arrival of the new heavens and the new earth the great white throne, the judgment seat, and all those things we've been told about that will attend to the ending of time in the world as we know it. The actual news that we may have made one more step closer to a one-world currency is an evidence that the time of the Lord's return is ever closer.
You will remember that the scriptures speak to the events that will precede the Lord's return for the church in several places in scripture. The book of the Revelation is, of course, perhaps the most familiar. Some do not feel comfortable with this book due to the numerous allegories, images, and word pictures it uses to lay out the end of time. Some want to relegate it to all supposition and stories with a spiritual application. Others feel the images are quite literal, and still others find themselves somewhere between those two extremes. Regardless of where you are, most of us believe that one of the features of this future society, maybe not too future actually, is a one-world currency. The Bible says that people will one day not be able to buy or sell without what we call the mark of the beast. The technology already exists to enforce this requirement. The story I have related to you about the subtle move in the U.S. to a new currency fits right into this possibility. America's growing, incredibly large national debt may even help to precipitate these events. Russia has just announced that they will put an embargo on all agricultural imports from the USA. There are serious issues between Russia and many of the countries in Europe which depend on Russia for their natural gas supplies. The signs are becoming numerous and frequent. Signs that many of us see in prophecy and indicate that the time is coming ever more closely and near when our Lord will return. Keep your eyes on the eastern sky. In Christ alone my hope is found. He is my life, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights
the power of Christ in me, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny, no power And now with this message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus, Alan Lee. Greetings again, my dear friends. We are looking at Jesus' idea of forgiveness and his command that we, as his redeemed and forgiven ones, forgive others in the body of Christ who sin against us, even as he has forgiven us. We are looking particularly at Paul's admonition to us toward this end in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Speaking to believers in Christ, the apostle says, And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other, whoever has a complaint against you. Just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. End of quote. Now, based on the teaching of this passage, along with Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount, where he teaches his disciples how to pray, at the close of his model prayer for his disciples, Jesus adds an addendum to explain the reason for the request he instructs them to make in their prayer. That request is stated in Matthew 6 and verse 12, where it says, And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. The reason for this is given in verses 14 and 15. After the prayer is completed, Jesus says, For if, notice the condition, if you forgive men their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. End of quote. Now, it is quite evident that Jesus puts an extremely high premium on forgiveness in the life of his disciples, believers in Christ. In fact, forgiveness of others is made to be the basis for God's forgiveness toward the sinning disciples. Jesus says you cannot have one without the other. Now, this is really a startling and unfortunately much neglected truth among today's professing disciples of Jesus Christ. But yet, Jesus says that fellowship with his Father, and of course himself as well, is dependent upon our willingness to forgive those who have offended us who have sinned against us in any way. Notice the text again in verse 12. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. We are actually instructed to pray for our own forgiveness 
according to our own record in forgiving those who have sinned against us. In other words, Jesus is saying when it comes to forgiveness, and again, it's within the body of Christ, you cannot expect to get from your heavenly Father which you refuse to give to his children on earth, who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, based on these passages, we have concluded that biblical forgiveness means to cancel a debt by paying it yourself without any idea or demand for repayment in the future in any way whatsoever. Let me repeat that. Biblical forgiveness means to cancel a debt by paying it yourself without any idea or demand for repayment in the future in any way whatsoever. That's how Jesus forgives us. That's how he forgave us. And he wants us to do the same toward our sinning brothers in Christ. Here then are some characteristics of and reasons why genuine forgiveness is so rare among Christians today. First, let me give you some negative characteristics or what genuine forgiveness is not. First, forgiveness is not merely an attitude. It is an act of the will, a volitional choice. It is a decision to remain barriers to oneness, unity, and full acceptance of the one forgiven. It is a choice to obey the word of God followed by action. It is not something we merely think about, but something we actually and objectively do. A decision to forgive opens the door to a new life of love, hope, and growth. But secondly, forgiveness is not forgetting. You see, we actually remember everything that happens to us. The problem has to do with our method of retrieval. There are two kinds of remembering. First, there's what we may call emotional recall. This brings back the past with all of its pain, its hurt, its resentment and anger. This is not forgiveness. But then there's what we call historical recall. This means that we remember a past event, which is recalled as a fact without emotional impact. This is genuine forgiveness. God really does not forget our sins. He simply chooses not to remember them. Third, genuine forgiveness is not pretending that nothing happened. In fact, it is acknowledging what has happened, but deciding not to allow it to cause present pain, present hurt, or ongoing alienation. That's why forgiveness is not simply excusing a wrong done if it is sin. Excusing applies to less serious irritations or hurt feelings due to one's bias or personal preferences. Forgiveness always involves confrontation and confession. Always involves this, confrontation and confession. We don't simply say, I'll just let it go, when it comes to either our sinning against someone or someone sinning against us. That is not forgiveness. That's excusing. And when it comes to sin, unity, and peace, it will not result if handled in this manner. Fourth, genuine forgiveness is also not simply pardoning someone for a wrong done. You see, pardoning simply releases the person from punishment. 
guilt still needs to be dealt with. Forgiving is not the same as accepting and understanding a situation. It is reserved for acts which are not acceptable and not justifiable because they involve sin. That's why we must always realize that in the final analysis, sin is first and foremost against God. And in fact, he and he alone can actually forgive sin. Our forgiveness, when done correctly, simply reflects what he has already done. We dare not forgive whom God has not forgiven. That is why I don't believe there's any such thing as unconditional forgiveness. Forgiveness is based on confession of sin. And that confession usually only comes after confrontation, either by man or by God. I therefore assume that if someone asks my forgiveness for an offense they've done against me, or if I ask forgiveness of someone I have sinned against, that I, as well as they, have already asked forgiveness of God. And on that basis, now ask my forgiveness and vice versa. Number five, forgiveness is never again bringing up the past in a negative way against the one forgiven. All debt has been canceled. The person owes you nothing. Six, forgiveness is not demanding change before we forgive, demanding some form of penance before we give our forgiveness. That's not the way Jesus forgave us, and that's our standard as well. Seven, forgiveness is not demanding a guarantee that it wouldn't happen again before we forgive the person. Upon repentance, that is in the context of acknowledgement of sin and asking forgiveness, it is to be granted. Once acknowledged and request for forgiveness is made, it is to be granted. That's the standard laid down by Jesus Christ himself as stated in 1 John 1, 9. If, that's the condition, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all sin. Now note some positive things about what forgiveness is, some positive characteristics. First, genuine forgiveness is risk-taking. In other words, the person forgiven may commit the same offense against you again but you cannot wait until he proves that to you before you forgive him. Must be granted immediately. Secondly, genuine forgiveness repudiates revenge or retaliation. This is when, where, and how God's gift of inner peace pervades our heart. When we release the one who has sinned against us from all consequences toward us, he or she may have to pay for his or her sin to the law and perhaps the government, and even to others, but not to us. We eliminate all thoughts of revenge or retaliation or repayment. God takes care of the justice aspect. We handle the compassion, the kindness, and love. But then again, genuine forgiveness does not allow the one forgiven to pay. We accept the debt as ours. In other words, payback cannot coexist with forgiveness. The one cancels the other. You see, there's a sense in which all sin is sin against God. Only God can forgive that. But on the basis of our experience of that forgiveness ourselves, 
We are to extend it to others who sin against us. We cannot accept responsibility for their sin against God. He has already done that. However, when we choose to forgive another person, there's always some sense in which we are accepting responsibility for the consequences of those sins. This is why forgiveness always has a cost to go with it. I bear in myself the price of the evil done, even as Jesus paid the penalty for my sin. But again, genuine forgiveness involves giving up our rights and even not defending ourselves. Self-vindication is not the goal of forgiveness. Reconciliation Eve. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 6. He says we should give up our rights even if we are defrauded. We should suffer the loss. But again, genuine forgiveness involves suffering. 1 Peter 2 verses 18 through chapter 3 verse 1 makes this quite clear. Jesus Christ is our example when it comes to suffering in order to provide forgiveness. Once more, genuine forgiveness is hard or difficult. Why? Because it costs. It costs the forgiver more than the one forgiven. But also, genuine forgiveness changes our thinking. It renews our mind. We think differently about the one forgiven and about the past and future. Our mind, our thinking is changed when we give genuinely. But then, genuine forgiveness changes our behavior also. I want you to read when you have the opportunity Ephesians chapter 4, especially verses 31 and 2, along with Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 and following. This tells us that our behavior is changed when we forgive others. To forgive, in other words, is to say goodbye forever to the pain of the past and to be rid of its effect in the future. Now, expressing or granting forgiveness is hard, and it's hard because it's Christ-like. And that's hard, being Christ-like, but it's not impossible because we have Christ himself living within us to help us. Our ability to forgive is in actuality a gift of God's grace to us. God grants us to us so we can manifest his heart toward the one who has wronged us and him. But also, the granting of forgiveness to those who have sinned against us is the basis for our being forgiven by God and being forgiven by God is the basis for our ongoing fellowship with him. And our ongoing fellowship with him is the basis for our worship and service being accepted by him also. Jesus realized that only truly forgiving another person is difficult and is actually impossible apart from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So he taught his disciples to pray for the empowerment. He says, forgive us even as we forgive those who sin against us. We need his help daily to forgive others, even as he has forgiven us. So we need daily to pray this prayer as taught by Jesus. Then we need to simply forgive. Jesus' true disciples are characterized by the attitude, spirit, and willingness to forgive. 
So I ask you again in closing, are you a true disciple of Jesus Christ? Your answer will be validated by those not whom you have forgiven, but by those whom you have not forgiven. As always, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Sila, think and act on these things. You have been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship service begins this morning at 11 o'clock in the sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We extend an invitation to you to join us on these occasions. If you would like to contact the church or Pastor Lee, address your letters to Echoes of Calvary, Post Office Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And so we come to an end of this broadcast. I invite you to think about the message this morning. Consider the one who is our Savior and Lord. Grow to be complete in Him. And remember, as echoes from Calvary stir in your heart, keep listening for that shout, Maranatha, the Lord is coming soon. There forevermore to stay. The great commander's promise, he will surely come again. I am listening every moment for the mighty trumpet sound. What a time we'll have together when the saints shall leave the ground and our toiling will be happen in a moment, Jesus Christ could come again, I am listening every moment, for the mighty trumpet sound, what a time we'll have together, when the saints shall leave the ground, and our toiling will be in a moment Jesus Christ could come again